you're an English learner and you're in high school, you're sent to English learning development, ELD classes. That can become a trap. You more likely not going to be able to make it out of the ELD system. You have to take certain amount of ELD classes, right? For, for the high school I went to was ELD basics, ELDC, ELDC, ELDB, ELDA. And then once you finish those courses, then you can actually take English one, English two, English three. I call them a trap because out of the class that I started in my freshman year in ELD, many similarly uh, with other folks that, like myself that were migrants from Mexico or refugees from Vietnam that were learning English, only a few of us really made it out of the ELD system and, and, and only a few of us graduated from, from high school. Orange County grant makers and Past Forward present Adjust Accordingly, Placing Equity into Practice a series of discussions about how inequity is experienced in life and work and how industries, organizations, and people are working to move equity forward. This series was produced with support from the Orange County Community Foundation. In this episode, we connect with Carlos Perea, an immigrant rights advocate and director of the Harbor Institute for Immigrant and Economic Justice. Carlos shares his story of immigrating to the U.S. from Mexico at 14 years old to be with his mother, and the challenges he faced as an undocumented person trying to learn the language while navigating high school, the socio-political climate of the community, and the potential of a college education and a better life. It is from his lived experience that Carlos found his calling as a community organizer and advocate. So Carlos, I'd like to start by sharing your story of coming to the United States at 14 years old. Now, 14 is, is a very special age. I mean, that 13, 14, it's that age where, where one starts coming into their own and making decisions that can plot the course of the rest of their life. It's not like you were uh, a young child who was brought here. You are, you are, you are coming with a purpose. And I'd love, and, and you have this, uh, a memory of it. It's not, you know, like I have vague memories. 14, your memories become part of your life and your existence. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, yeah. So, no, and, and you're right in terms of the, the understanding, right, coming into, into this country, uh, knowing, right, knowing what you leave behind uh, and, know, and, and knowing that this is going to be a, a different part of your life now. The migration story, right? The migration story, the the experience of loss, of mourning. Because I think part of part of what we sometimes the conversation around immigration centers a lot, yes, on the policies and 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 justice and and and, and what needs to happen. But I think part of what sometimes is missing in the immigration story is when you know. A comparison to, to to other peers of mine that that have migrated, you know, I think that when we, when we think about immigrant youth. We definitely think about young people that came here when they were babies or, or, or children and, and, and they, this typical story is they grew up in this country not knowing anything else, right, not knowing their homeland. For, for many uh, young people like myself, at the, you know, when we migrate as teenagers, it's, it's, it's different. There's, there's definitely a, a loss there, a, a mourning process that I think a lot of us go through because we grew up. In a culture, we, we were nurtured by our traditions, we were nurtured by our extended families. And, and so we have a sense of, 
of of belonging like we have a, a, a we have grounding in our in our homeland and i think migrating into another country uh not just not even just talking about them the the, the migration experience and the violence around borders and things like that, but just the, the fact of migrating into another country, it's, it's, it's hard. Right? And so I think for me, it was when I came here, I think my, my story is, is, is very, it's, it's very unique in the immigration, immigrant youth experience. And, 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 you know, we talk about dreamers and we talk about, you know, all those exceptional stories. Right. But I think my story is unique, but not so unique in that my story is unique in that I'm one of those one of those folks that came in that in the in the awkward gauge gap right <laughs> so it's like we, we we and 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 there's many like 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 myself right many many peers that, that migrated when they were my age 14 15 16 some other older right and and so it's a challenge i think um major challenges in one phase is definitely the language barrier um i think it's different growing up learning the language um when you're like five six seven but when you migrate here, when you're 14 or 15, and anyone that is an adult, it, and, and you need to learn the language is different. <laughs> so it's harder, and it's also, you know, you you are aware about your positionality in 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 this country as an undocumented person. Uh, one as an as a, as a as an immigrant, and second one as an undocumented person. When you're at that age, you understand very well how you're perceived. The systemic issues we might not be able to articulate you know uh what x y and c systemic issue is but we understand that we feel it um and so that was you know i think i think thinking back on on uh, back of my life right and, and even also you know when we hear about the typical immigration stories of young people that migrate into this country uh you know i think for me sometimes i quite never really identified one because i came here i was I fully knew i was coming here undocumented I didn't come here because uh, to this country because I I, I I was I was seeking a better place or 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 I was or, or you know like one of those like typical you know the stories. But then for me it was I wanted to be reunited with my mom, my mother who had migrated here into the United States when I was four years old, and so you know I that was four to fourteen years old. That's a ten year gap. Um, you know in my formal my formative years I. I was raised by my grandparents, by my uncles, my aunts. And so uh, I think for me, when conversations started to emerge within the family about, you know, hey, like you're 14 and you haven't seen your mom. And there's a lot of things that go with that, right? As to why that happened, right? And I think part of it is, you know, also getting to that age and understanding what you having without a mother, but also then understanding what about your, my father? And then learning things like your family didn't tell you before, which is, you know, my mom experienced uh, domestic violence, right? And she had to flee the country because it was dangerous for her to stay in Mexico. And it's not like there's a process for people like my mom to apply to come to the United States legally uh because one there's not such a pathway <laughs> and, and 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 even though she was feeling violence not only domestic violence but also it's my my, my father and my father's family were very influential in, in, in local government and so you know that's another thing right and, and so things like those that that i came to learn at that age uh, were very uh, uh did had an impact 
on, on on me. And so I came to the United States. I knew fully I was on, I was coming here undocumented. Um, did you make the journey? Were you were you alone when you did this? Well, or were you were you with family? Did you travel with family? I traveled with with with, with family that that, that that helped me or my, uh, accompanied me onto the point of the border. Mm -hmm. But the, the the journey of the border it was it was it was uh, on my own. With you know we hear the stories of coyotes and things like that. But that that that's where I that's that's where I went on my own. And so as that, a fourteen year old, I mean you're still a child. Yeah, yeah. At that point, and and I think that's you know and and and. Part of what I do a lot of my work to the now on, on immigrant justice and, and, and in the larger things, you know, social justice, where have been very influential by my, my migration experience and also my experience at the border. And and I say that because, you know, when when and when it came to the you know crossing the border, I was detained by by border patrol my first time around, and. You know, I was taken to the uh, processing center, the border patrols uh, station, and that was that was that was hard to see. Uh, one, I mean, I was a, I was a young person, so obviously I had a slight different treatment than older migrants um, that were crossing. But that was my introduction to the United States, right? The I mean, it's still it's armed, armed, fully armed people. Yeah, it's got to be intimidating as a young person. Not not only that, but you see. You know, in 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 detention and 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 the processing facility, you know, we call them yeleras, right, or the the the, the ice boxes, which is really the the the, the cells, but they're cold. <laughs> so that's that's why we call them yeleras. But it, for me, that that impacted a lot of the work that I do around detention, immigration enforcement, things like that. One because I was the first introduction to the United States was militarized police, which is border patrol. But the second one was the treatment of people that look like me and, and seeing how, you know, folks that were being brought into the processing centers were some of them were bleeding. Some of them had a rough journey and, 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 and rough arrests bringing to Border Patrol. The smirks, the attitudes of, of, of Border Patrol officers in, 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 in how they were treating us. That made me upset. <laughs> so I think I think a lot of folks get very like, you know, I think understandably, you know, there's trauma and there's things like that. But to me, that that upset me. That I was angry. One, I was angry. One, that internally, that I was leaving my home country and I was coming here. One, I wanted to see my mom and I wanted to reunite my mom. But also, was like, I'm I'm leaving behind a whole life. And then secondly, I was upset because then I realized from the very beginning what what I was going to be facing or what people like me face in the United States. And so that was my introduction to the United States. And obviously, you know, I, I made it, I came here, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> and I think the, the second part, which became very formative to, to what I do as well, is my experience as a teenager in the American education system. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask too. Like, <laughs> so you, you come here at 14, you're going into high school and high school could be traumatic for anybody. Even if you're you're born and raised here and know the language, yeah. So and and it was interesting, right? Because I think so. I, I went to school in Los Amigos High School, but going to Los Amigos High School was also another for me. That was another experience that that that, that helped shape my understanding of of my identity as as an immigrant, but also my identity as a as a person of color now on a, on a broader level. And also, you know, I think now we call it now. I think back then you have understanding people get treated differently and there's 
and there's factions and there's clicks and things like that. Now we understand that that's systemically done that way, how different groups interact. But yeah, for me, it was one. Uh, I, I didn't have much much of an issue when it comes to a language. I think I think uh, learning English, thankfully, that was something that I was able to catch up very quickly. Um, and, and I think that uh, I was able to learn English within like a year, year and a half, and I became, you know, profession and that allowed me to move you know when you're when you're an english learner and you're in high school and similarly in other grade in whether it's intermediate or junior high you're sent to english learning development eld classes mm -hmm. and i think and it is different in high school right if you're not if you don't know english and you sent to eld that can become a trap that that can become you more likely not going to be able to make it out of the eld system meaning that you you have to take certain amount of ELD classes, right? For for the high school I went to was ELD, ELD basics, ELDC, ELDC, ELDB, ELDA, and then once you finish those courses, then you can actually take an English one, English two, English three. I call them a trap because out of the class that I started in my freshman year in ELD, many and similarly uh, with other folks that, like myself that were migrants from Mexico or refugees from Vietnam that were learning English. Only a few of us really made it out of the ELD system, and 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 only a few of us graduated from from high school, and and that's because our experience is completely different from the rest of the, the students in 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 the school. One, um, language barrier. Second, uh, language barrier does definitely uh, impact educational uh, performance uh, in 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 areas where English the the language is needed mostly. I think a lot of us did very well in math and things of that nature because. That, that doesn't require language to use numbers. Right. Math is a universal, yeah. The, the other things uh, around that is also a class, right? I think many, many, many folks, many of my friends that I went to school with, you know, we came from, from working working backgrounds. And, and I think that undocumented folks experience it very differently as well when it comes to, to, to class issues. Because not only is your parents or your families do not have consistent work, but it's also, you know, the threat of, you know, deportation is there, you know, so fam you know, there's a lot of things that can disturb the ability for someone to really finish high school or, or even and finish high school and think about college. So that, yeah, so I think that was, that was, for me, that was very, uh, that was very informative to, to what I do. I was also a very angry kid in high school because of many things. One, I think what I think part of what happened at the border and just in general part of my character is that a lot of us, you know, in high school, you know, either we did not engage with other kids. Well, I think you know we knew we were being bullied. We knew we were being we were looking at uh, being looked at a certain way, not just by the white students, but also by second generation Latinos, right? Or say, or in general, like other students that were born here, you know, and and. And also some of some of the other uh, students that were also documented, but that came here when they were younger, and so they they were you know they had they were assimilated into this country, and so right. and so yeah. there were there was those interesting peers, you know that there's people that look like me, but then also I I experienced prejudice and experienced, uh, you know, you know bullying and I guess if you call it like that, right? And and but did you were you able to find a sense of community though? I, I was, I was, and I think for me, and and, and I think for me it was very different because I, 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 I mean, one, I, I, I like to interact with folks. I, I made friends with with many, many folks. I, I went, I joined the 
the volleyball uh, team in high school. I, I joined the dance team in high school. And I joined a club in high school. And, and so I think I was able to find a sense of, of community, a sense of a sense of, of I have a I have a click. And a lot of it, you know, part of it is that I had the ability to one learn English quickly, and I was able to move out of the yielded trap. And so I was exposed to many other students, many other interactions that definitely helped. Um, and I also, I think part of what got me really involved in high school was at the time um, in my by my sophomore year, I, I was I had come into contact with groups, community groups as well that were working on immigration issues, specifically around that time it was the Dream Act. And so I I got I, I became aware. I was like, well, we can fight to go to college. At that point, I think we had AB 540, which it means that undocumented youth can go to college in California and pay in-state tuition instead of out-of-state tuition, which is the way it helps us a lot. But then we also knew like we should have access to financial aid and we should also fight for legalization for, for ourselves. And so the Dream Act became the California Dream Act and the Federal Dream Act. So I came into contact with those groups and, and that is also what uh, really empowered me to get more involved in my local high school because one, I started, I, I, I didn't call it this back then, but I now I know that what I started doing was organizing. I was organizing with my, with my fellow peers and to fight for one, better counselors that can actually uh, that actually pay attention to, to us, specifically undocumented youth, a club that was uh, welcoming to, to undocumented youth as well, and then getting teachers involved in supporting the Dream Act by sending letters, things of that nature. And I was also very angry, so then I wouldn't take I wouldn't I wouldn't take things that people would tell me and just let it go. I will just I will fight it back. So if I if, if there was someone that was messing with me or my group or, or things of nature, just making either racial or prejudicial, ignorant comments, and I will I was angry, so I would just be the one like fighting it back. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, so 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 high school was a mixture. Right? I think for me it was a mixture of of things, and I wanted to ensure that. I made my mom, mother proud to ensure to let her know, hey, I'm going to be okay. Like, you don't have to worry about me. I'll take care of my, like, I'll, I'll make sure I do good in school. I'll go to college. I'll do the things that, that I know will make sure that you're not going to be worried about me moving forward. Um, but the second thing was I had full understanding of, of how we were treated and how I was. And, and I think I wanted to, I, I think in high school, I made a decision inspired by my involvement with many community groups, many community organizations that now I, that now I partnered with, uh, with my, my organization that back then were helped for my political uh, uh, understanding. So like organizations like El Centro Cultural de Mexico, which is a cultural center in Santa Ana. Uh, back then it was the Orange County Dream Team. And also come into contact with other, other fights like the labor union fights, uh, struggles. Um, and so I think those things really helped inform my decision that I wanted to go to college, but that I didn't want to go far away, that I wanted to stay here near my community to be able to organize and to be able to, to do what I could can to advance the rights of my community. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that was like, that was a journey. And going to college for, for a cause, not for just an education, you went with a mission. You had your mission, you found in high school, you continued it through college and went and studied sociology. Yeah, and and you know it was funny because I it changed my I, I think I changed my mind on the mayors a bunch of times. I think I wanted to do something that impacted social justice. At first, I was thinking you know I wanted to do journalism, 
Uh, so I explored that. I went to community college in Santana College first. And so that that helped me really explore. And honestly, community college was the best experience that, that I could ever have. Uh, I was close to my community. I was able to do or organizing in my community, go to college and stay still connected. But going back, so I changed, I wanted to do journalism. So I explored that for a bit. Then I wanted to do political science. I found out that I really don't like political science. I tend to look at things very, in a very blank white, white, white and blank, uh, black way, white, white. And so I wanted to, and then I, and then I found, you know, sociology was was, was something that I, I, I thought, you know, could, could help me develop a more critical understanding of, of, of things. And so while I was in community college, I also helped co-found uh, an organization, a youth organization called RAIS, uh, which was an immigrant youth group that fought deportations and fought against police ICE collaborations. I went to Castle Long Beach and rather than getting involved with student clubs at community college or, or Castle Long Beach, I, I think for me, that was not where I feel I, I needed to be. And so I, I ensured that I spent my time going to college, but then immediately went back to community and do the work that I, the organizing work that I wanted to do. And, and that's how my journey really evolved in as, as, a, as, a, as a migrant to a student, to an activist, to an organizer, and now to what I do now, which is doing work around policy and, and, and movements. Yeah, the, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, the Harbor Institute for Immigrant and Economic Justice. Yeah, so the Harbor Institute is um, it's an organization, it's a, it's a think tank here in Orange County uh, that, that was really brought together by a collaborative between uh, community organizers and movement academics. Um, and so I, I helped bring bring a, a group of people and, and to really think about, you know, I think this was 2020. And, and our focus and, and, and our, our thinking was trying to figure out how can we continue to build political power for immigrant refugee communities while at the same time building multiracial solidarity while at the same time intersecting immigrant justice and economic justice because part of the conversation of the immigrant rights movement in the last decade has evolved to like, it's not just an immigration issue, it's a class issue and it's a multiracial issue. And so now we're, we need to really look at the intersections of all of them. And so I think with, the, with that understanding, we, we, we established the Harvard Institute, which is a place for movement, political strategy, policy development, and advocacy on immigration and economic justice issues. And so now the, the, the role of the Institute is to really think ahead and while or, or the work is happening right now about many of our community partners on fights and pushing for policies, campaigns, things that help advance and improve the, the, the conditions of our communities. The Institute is looking into like, how are these fights connected in a long-term battle? How are we connecting geographically, not just one fight happening in Santana or another campaign in Garden Grove or another thing disconnected in Fullerton, but we're thinking, all these fights are happening across Orange County in those cities, whether it's Vietnamese people organizing in Little Saigon, whether it's Mexican Central Americans organizing in Santa Ana, um, that these fights are interconnected. And uh, particularly in a county that has systematically divided our communities and pitted each other against us, this is where the Institute is coming to think long-term. Yeah, what are those challenges? I mean, Orange County has that, that historical right leaning conservative political viewpoint and it's slowly changing i think they call it purple now but i mean it definitely still 
it's more red than it is blue but it also has this huge community of of uh immigrants and second generation uh uh immigrants H how do you how do you fight that mountain yeah well first you know i think that with orange county you know yeah it's a, it's a very unique unique place right but it's a, it's a it has been the the breeding like i think the, the grounds for a lot of the right-wing really draconian policies against immigrants that have been implemented across the country i mean this is where proposition 187 was born this is also where the uh really the, the, the fight against day laborers took place from from cities you know cities tried to criminalize day laborers and, and so you know fortunately you know day laborers fought back and they lost but a lot of a lot of their policies that we see now even under their previous administration under the Trump administration or you see in other in other states being implemented a lot of them were experimented here in Orange County first and so that 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 tell that tells a lot about what the importance not only of Orange County is in California but also the importance Orange County is for nationally and so now you know we're seeing that I think now finally folks are seeing what many of us have been saying of Orange County that what happens in Orange County is really going to have ripple effects in the state and the nation and we've been saying this for for a decade <laughs> and so now now after the last elections and seeing that Orange County has really become the narrow focus of congressional you know the fight to hold Congress or or even the fight to to determine you know the state legislature super majorities things of that nature folks are coming to understand in Orange County plays a crucial role. So yes, in terms of the political location, but also secondly, this is the place where we can really set an example of how to build movements that are interconnected with one another and that are, and, uh, and, and specifically because we have large immigrant and refugee populations. And, and I say that, uh, and, and going to answer your question around, you know, how do we, how do we tackle this? And, and, you know, I think Orange County has had a, a you know, it's not for, you know, being the place for white supremacy and right-wing leaning things, but also has been a place of resistance from the beginning, from the inception of Orange County. You know, you have native communities, you know, that, that have been a resistance. You have, you know, also black communities that have been a resistance. Mexican communities, you know, Mexican farmers that were, you know, pushing back and and all of them, you know, were, were, were systemically oppressed uh, by, by, by the county and, and, and local governments. But you know, when people think about Orange County, they think, oh, yeah, it's been a place of, of right wing uh, ism. But it also has been a place of like a lot of good uh, resistance work and a lot of by the communities here. And I think that the conversation is happening now that, yeah, because Orange County is shifting demographically in terms of population numbers now, there's more immigrant refugees than, than maybe white people. So, yes, that's important to, to acknowledge, but also important to understand that there has been a long history of that. So, so now with that said, uh, I think that, and, and I mentioned about systemic, uh, how our communities have been divided and pitted against each other, and it has been systemic by design. And 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 and, and with that said, so for example, in you know the Orange County Board of Supervisors, which is the highest uh, government decision-making entity in, in, in the county, um, you know, you know, they yeah, traditionally have been white and all of that, but in in the 2010 to I believe 2018, and even now, right. The board of supervisors actually was majority. Uh, the folks serving in the board, the supervisors were uh, the majority. Of them were were Asian, and 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 they were passing. You know, the the the, the body, the government, entire body, were passing really horrible policies or supporting 
policies like collaborating with ICE, defining the state on immigrant rights policies and trying to work with immigration as much as possible, uh, ignoring Latinos <laughs> under the pandemic. Uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, the county was super slow to respond. Our communities were dying and they didn't care. Uh, and so it was systemic, right? So all to say that it, the, 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 the issue about systemic uh, uh work that we need to do and, and and equity and things like that we need to put it into context of like of, of class of race of immigration status um because we have seen that i think i think part of that sometimes the the, the the mistake that we that we all do when it comes to you know fighting for justice or fighting for for communities is we need to have representation which is important yes it's important to have people that look like us right important that people that we have representation at the table but you know, given the example of the Orange County Board of Supervisors, and given the example, for example, the city of Santana, for more than twenty years, we had one mayor who was Latino, yet never really listened to the issues of the Latino community. So things of that nature, I think, for 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 us to think about equity and to think about uh, beyond equity too, right? Justice, solidarity, and things of that that nature, we we need to get out of the framework that we need just representation. Representation is not enough. We need to have different analysis to be able to then uh, fight for, you know, have campaigns, fight for policies that bridge communities across racial backgrounds, across cultural backgrounds. Because I think at the end of the day, when it comes to equity in Orange County, what the work that I do with Institute where we live is an issue of, of class, it's an, and, and it's an issue of, of, of race, and it's an issue of, of immigration, uh, immigration status. I'm going to finish with this question. Um, a lot of undocumented residents live in fear of, uh, unfortunately, being found out or discovered. How do you handle that? Are you concerned about that, that title, about your status when it's broadcast to the press, when we have conversations like this? Uh, and, and, and how do you mitigate help? communities mitigate that fear with the work that you do yeah so, so that's, that's actually very interesting because when i when i started doing you know when i started organizing and started activists on early high school and, and i started to get some media coverage and some of the work that i was doing um that never crossed my mind actually <laughs> i think i think it didn't really uh that's never something that i that i not because i i, I, I i'm not afraid or things on nature but i think because naturally what i was doing and getting the message out of what i was doing was important and and to me that was like the number one priority is ensuring that that we have a voice and, and we tell our narratives on how uh, our stories are covered and it wasn't really until you know family and friends and the nature center told me hey you have to be careful or you have you know are you afraid and 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 so i think i never really thought about it that way I think for me I always started in, in the sense of like if I have the opportunity to to tell the story uh our story in the in our way and if there's other folks that can do it that will be that's great too and I think there are now but when it comes to our community I think that you know that that that, that, that fear is there you know that it's real um but also I have seen even in the conversation around immigration is the framework is moving away from fear and more into into action and and i think that i you know 10 years ago 15 years ago i think that was a very strong fear that our communities had you know like that being targeted for political activism or being found out or things like that of that nature or speaking up uh, fear of speaking up but because you're undocumented i think that that was very present but i think we're in a different situation now 
in, in which there has a lot of been a lot of activism in Orange County around immigration and other things. There's been a lot of community organizations that have been building resident power, doing doing workshops, community power and outreach that I think it has become, you know, kind of like the norm, you know, of, of folks organizing and speaking up and knowing that it's not about immigration status that should prevent you from from doing that, you know, and, and, and I think that that has been that has been very been very powerful to see uh, of, of of the immigrant community in, in, in Orange County that that were you know the fear is still there and there's, there's not always going to be the fear but then now we're transforming that into we're thinking of we, we gotta speak ourselves we gotta fight for ourselves if you would like to continue the conversation visit harborinstituteoc.org to learn more and visit orange county grantmakers at ocgrantmakers.org and the orange county community foundation at oc-cf.org To listen to more episodes and find books written by and recommended from our guests, visit pastforward.org or follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you podcast.